Today's conversation wasn't much of uh, Jesus doing much of the talking, but was happening uh, around him. You can find, I'm going to have a few different texts going on, but most of it is uh, towards the end of uh, Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one kind of tell uh, different parts of uh, the story of what's happening at the cross. And so uh, you can uh, read along through that or, or follow along as well. And some of the scriptures will be on the screen for you. Uh, part of the uh, BGMC, just to give you a quick clarification of what it is, what's that stand for? So Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge, it's the, uh, each age group kind of has a, a missions organization in the Assemblies of God that they uh, support, and so the children, it's called BGMC, uh, with March uh, Madness in the college basketball uh, world, BGMC kind of does March Missions Madness. So it's not just our church that's doing uh, something like this, but thousands and thousands of churches around the country and even around the world uh, are supporting uh, missionaries in this way and being a part of that. I don't know if you guys follow uh, college basketball much, but I love it, and um, my team made it pretty far, and last night they did not show up at their game. They must have thought they were playing today or something like that, but Gonzaga um, probably had the worst game I've ever watched them play. That was terrible. I was sitting on my couch crying and uh, curled up in a fetal position. (laughs) Uh, no, but uh, what I learned from that is that life goes on, and I really have no uh, barring on those games, even though sometimes I feel like when I leave the room, they play better, and then when I come back, they get worse, and so part of me wants to watch the game, and part of me is superstitious and says, you know, maybe if you left, they would play better, but I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious, you know, my office fans there. <laughs> All right. As we've studied in Romans uh, the past few uh, weeks, and um, we know a few things that I'd like to recall uh, to us this morning. We know that all of mankind have sinned, and we know that the cost of that sin is death, and we know that Jesus paid that a price for us called a big word called propitiation where he took our place and he paid the price of our sin by dying on the cross. Second Corinthians 5:22 says God made him Jesus Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we know that Jesus died for us in our place. But did you know that some of the details of his death and the way he would die, kind of the end of his life, uh, were foretold long before it happened? If you study prophecies from the Old Testament that were fulfilled in uh, Jesus, in his life and in his death and resurrection, there's, there's many And a lot of them are found in Isaiah 53, kind of the main prophecy of the Messiah. It starts out by saying, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
And then it proceeds to reveal uh, what will happen. Also, uh, Zechariah 11 and 12 and Psalm 22 each kind of uh, give different uh, uh, prophecies of what, would, what will take place. Um, when you read those, it's not uh, very plain of this is what to look for, uh, this is what the Messiah will happen. Uh, it doesn't get that plain, but you can uh, read through the, uh, the, literar- the literature style, how they describe the Lord. Sometimes it's uh, in, um, in Isaiah, it's the Lord speaking and talking, referring to himself in that day. Um, some of the others, you kind of have to read through the context and uh, find out this is, he's talking about um, the Messiah, the coming uh, Savior. So I have a slide up here that tells you what was prophesied that he would be, that would happen to him. Psalm 41, 9 says that he would be betrayed by a friend. Judas betrays him. Uh, that it would be, he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver is told in Zechariah 11, verse 12 and 13. It's prophesied in Isaiah 50, verse 6, that he would be beaten, he would be spat upon, that he would be mocked. Isaiah 53, verse 5, that he would be our vicarious sacrifice, meaning uh, that he would take our place our, our sacrifice through, it would be through him. That Isaiah 53 goes on to say that he, was, he would be crucified with transgressors. And we see there's two robbers um, on each side. We're going to have that conversation uh, next Sunday. We'll look at their conversation. Um, Zechariah 12.10, that his hands would be pierced. Psalm 22, the enemies will insult and mock him. Psalm 22, it goes on that soldiers would gamble his clothing. Zechariah, that his side would be pierced. And Psalms, that no bones would be broken. And when you look at the way uh, crucifixions would go, the, the robbers on each side of him, they broke their legs to make sure they were Uh, they were dead but with Jesus they realized it was already so they pierced him and so it wasn't a common uh, occurrence for that Um, so when the prophecy said that no bones would be broken it's kind of a it's a unique detail to understand and then to see that fulfilled so the scene at the cross Remember last week, and, and you can read it as, even as we preach this morning, you can read in your uh, Bibles there. But Jesus was crucified along a very common road where there would be many people passing by, done in a way of, uh, don't be like this guy, or don't rob like these people. And so it, it wasn't done on a, on a certain uh, field or grounds. They, the, the Romans wanted to crucify you uh, to be an example uh, for others what not to do. The Roman soldiers are there who conducted the crucifixions. You have the, the chief priests and the elders, uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, um, all the people that opposed 
uh, what was happening or opposed Jesus, all those who uh, were supporting or who were mourning for him. Every, there, there was hundreds of people probably at this scene and Jesus is on the cross in the center and with a robber on each side. While he and the two others are being nailed to their crosses, if you can imagine the, the pain and the anguish, the cries, the screaming, it's not a, a peaceful moment, okay? Uh, it was a painful moment. Hours and hours go by. It wasn't an immediate death. It happened starting at 9 a.m., kind of how you would interpret the hours of the days in, in their ways. And he probably didn't die until 3 in the afternoon. So this is like hours of, of a process here. There's probably cheering happening from those that want him crucified. The way they would uh, crucify them is to nail him to the cross first and then raise the cross up and put it in its stand. And probably there is cheering from the crowd when he, when, when he would be raised up like that. There's probably screams of, of horror of the reality of what's happening. So it's not a, it's not a calm place. It's not a quiet uh, some were probably quiet in their mourning. Matthew 27, verse 39, begins the conversation that I want to focus on this morning. It says that those passing by were hurling abuse, or your Bible may say insults, at him. They were wagging their heads thought that was an interesting way to say it. Nothing uh, too deep. It means what it means. They were shaking their head at him. Uh, they were yelling at him. You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. If you can, I'm a picture person, and if you can uh, put yourself in that crowd, there was more shouts probably happening than what the disciples are uh, recording or what they can remember uh, back to this moment. But I want to look at each, each insult that is recorded. You see, Jesus told the Pharisees in John chapter 2, kind of in the beginning of his ministry, he made this statement also in his trial before the Sanhedrin, just before he, after he was arrested, before he was crucified, that he, that the temple uh, would be destroyed and rebuilt in three days. So obviously these people were witnesses of one of those moments or they were made aware of it. The second taught, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. It's eerily similar to the temptations that Jesus went through in the desert when the devil each time he would say, if you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God, do that. Jesus will not and cannot come down from the cross. 
The next one, verse 41, says that in the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and and the elders, the religious people, man, those who had been looking for the Messiah, and he's here, but they don't receive him. They don't accept him. They join in in the mockery, saying, well, he saved others, but he can't save himself. They mock his miracles, assuming uh, that his healings and and those that he raised from the dead uh, must not have been real. Otherwise, Jesus would use his power to help himself. Mark uh, 15, 32 has the, the next one. They say, let this Christ, the King of Israel, his chosen one, Luke says, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Matthew says that we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The religious leaders uh, making these taunts, making these insults. Uh, they, they make a stipulation with Jesus. Man, if you read in Mark uh, chapter 8, they also demanded of Jesus a sign then. That, uh, that was in the middle of his ministry time when miracles are happening all around them. And they taught Jesus, show us a sign that you're the Messiah. Show us a sign. And here at his uh, death, which uh, he's tried to explain to them, once again they're saying, we need a sign and then we will see it and then we'll believe it. And we all know that doesn't happen. The sign from heaven is Jesus. He is the sign. In Mark 8 that I referred to, he, Jesus was standing there and he was talking to them, okay? And they were unwilling or they were unable to see that he was the Messiah. And similar is the case here. The very truth that brings belief hangs there before them on the cross and they're blind to it. It's almost uh, their taunts and, and these insults. It's almost as if they're trying to convince themselves, man, that Jesus is a fraud. That guy can't be real. He's not the one. They are sure that God's Messiah would never suffer and die on a cross. Suffering has no place in their theology of the Messiah, They say, uh, instead, these leaders see that the Messiah would be one who would act with power and he would destroy his enemies and not uh, surrender to them, not die on a cross to them. They were looking for a king who would reign and and rule. And Jesus was one that uh, came and, and served. And he died for others. Luke uh, 23 shows the, the next insult, mocking. Verse 36, it says, the soldiers, 
also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine. They're not showing compassion. Sometimes we might feel like, oh, he needs a drink, so they're uh, maybe offering him a drink. No, no. To offer a king that kind of wine, the sour wine, is an insult to him. And they've picked up on uh, Pilate's idea of of this ridicule uh, of him as a king of the Jews. Verse 37, uh, they would say, if you're king of the Jews, save yourself. And Pilate had a, a sign made. And it was written above a a title of who this person is. John says, it said, uh, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. And the sign was written in three different languages. They're in a large city, lots of different languages there, uh, spoken there. So they made this uh, obvious for them to know who this person is and why Uh, he was being crucified. King of the Jews. Remember, earlier in the trial process, probably maybe even these same soldiers uh, were there at that time mocking him. They made a crown of thorns that they stuck on his head. They placed a purple robe around him and, and they bowed before him as they're whipping him and as they're beating him. By having the inscription placed on the cross, Pilate may be uh, seeking revenge on uh, the Jews that had pressured him, the Jewish leaders who had pressured him uh, to condemn an innocent man. It's a testimony, though, to the royalty of Jesus. Each of these insults, all of this stuff that's happening At the cross, it's dripping with irony. Those of his enemies, they're they're mocking him and they're blaspheming him, but they're actually, they're speaking truth in the things that they say. Number one, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. It's true that Jesus said this in John chapter 2 and it was when he was clearing the temple courtyard and he's overturning tables and all the money changers there. But what the people didn't understand in this moment is that he was referring to himself and they were doing the destroy they were destroying the temple they were destroying Jesus And when he would die, he would be in the tomb for three days and he would rise again. So their their insults, their temptation, their mock, their blaspheming, they're declaring uh, the truth. And they would see it in just a few days from this moment. The second one, could he have saved himself? And they're mocking, oh, he can save others, but he can't save himself. Yeah, he he could have. When he was being arrested in the garden, and Peter brings out the sword and begins to fight back, and there's hundreds of people there, an army there, 
And Jesus stops him and calms the situation down. As Man, if, if I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of angels to come down and rescue me. But he says that then Scripture would not be fulfilled, which says that it must happen this way. That's in Matthew 26. Jesus could have saved himself. It's true. He had the power uh, to call down angels. He had the power to come down uh, from the cross. Was he the son of God? One of them, some of them claim, if you're the son of God, was he the son of God? Yeah. At Christmas, we study that story and how uh, he was born of a virgin uh, the Holy Spirit uh, had caused that birth and so many different signs uh, pointing to him as the Son of God. Number four, did he save others? Yeah, yeah, he did. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each tell uh, close to 40 different miracles uh, that took place that Jesus helped other people in various ways, whether it was uh, raising them uh, from the dead, uh, healing them, or the very first one where he uh, helped at the wedding party that the host wouldn't be embarrassed. It was a basic miracle, but it was helping others. He was serving. He multiplied loaves and fishes just for a simple meal. He helped so many others. John even writes in, in two places, chapter 20, verse 30, and then just a few verses later in 21, verse 25, that Jesus, he did so much more than just what was written, uh, what we have written in the word of God. He did so many more miracles. He did so many more teachings. He helped so many more people that if they were to write it all down, uh, he supposes there's not enough books in the world. The world couldn't contain uh, the amount of books that could be written about Jesus' miracles. Yeah, he saved others. Number five, is it true that he can't save himself? Well, that was the condition upon why he, he was there. He can't save himself because he was trying to save others. He couldn't come down from the cross or he wouldn't have saved us. The condition upon uh, which he was uh, saving others. So it's true he can't save himself. The last one, was he king of the Jews? Was he king of Israel? Yeah. He said so in his answers to Pilate's questions when he would be questioned directly. He said, yeah. The prophecies uh, foretelling of the Messiah said he would be. And then if you remember back to the wise men, the magi, when they were going to visit him as a child and they came upon um, the city, they asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star and were following it. They knew that Jesus was the king of the Jews, that he was the king of Israel. Each of these uh, insults that are recorded 
this conversation that's happening amongst the crowd, shouts of blaspheme and, and mockery. The irony there is they're speaking the truth. One commentary I was studying says that in mockery, Jesus is their king. But in fact, he is their messianic king, the Messiah, who in this event brings salvation to all who will receive him. In truth, they reject him. John 1 verse 11 says that Jesus came to his own and his own uh, did not receive him. This scene completes what was started earlier where Nathanael said to Jesus, you are the king of Israel in John 1 49. And where he was anointed with oil as king by Mary, Lazarus' sister in John chapter 12. The cross becomes the Jesus' throne. The place where, uh, from which he unleashes his power as king to deliver from sin's clutch on human nature and from sin's condemnation before God. The title over the cross points uh, to this as his throne in an obvious way. And the title in three languages suggests that he's king of the world. Going back to the scene at the cross where he dies. A very powerful uh, thing happens at the moment he breathes his last breath. Matthew 27, 51 says that at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. It's a powerful, he didn't just die. It's a powerful, uh, things are happening. The tombs around that area broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. And they went into the holy city and they appeared to many people. This is a powerful moment. The power of God is there. There's so much more that we could uh, study and learn from uh, this crucifixion scene and his death, the words that he spoke and the other occurrences that are going on. But this moment is powerful. The curtain of the temple being torn in two is literally God physically taking down the barrier that was between man and himself, saying now through Jesus, just like we've studied in Romans and you can uh, read in Hebrews, Jesus now provides a way that each of us can have a direct connection with God. We don't have to go through a high priest once in a great while and try to learn and, and maybe speak to God through them. No, Jesus died and in his death provided a way that we can speak to the Almighty ourselves, and God can speak to us. It's a powerful scene. The power of God was so great that the dead saints rose back to life. Crazy, crazy. Could you imagine 
Man, I, I don't know if I could imagine that. The powerful moment. One of the soldiers declares, surely this was the Son of God. Luke 23, 47, he, he says, certainly this man was innocent. He comes back, the, one of the soldiers who is mocking the king of the Jews, one of the soldiers uh, that was uh, performing this crucifixion, now at the moment of all of this uh, power happening, he realizes this was the Messiah. Luke 23, 48, it says that all the crowds who came together for this spectacle when they observed what happened, the, the veil, be, the curtain being torn, the, the earthquaking and, and the, the dead rising, when they observed what had happened, they began to return, beating their chests as a sign of, it's a sign of mourning, a sign of contrition. We messed up. Man, this, this was the Son of God. A miracle was taking place in Jesus' death before he had even rose from the dead. They realized, oh, this was more than just a common criminal. Did all of the people there change their mind? Probably, probably not. That would be a stretch. But, but many there who had just been blaspheming, they see the power and they instantly have remorse. Some were convinced there. Some more were probably convinced when he did rise from the dead. And still others, uh, if you read ahead into Acts chapter 1 and 2, uh, Peter uh, gives a sermon there and reflects back to the crucifixion and Jesus rising from the dead. 3,000 people come to belief in Jesus. I conclude the message today going back to the beginning. Why? Why did Jesus die on the cross for us? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, every hindrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's a key verse too. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith. Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostile hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus died for you. Yeah, we, we know that, Pastor. We know that. No, but you don't know that. He died for you. The punishment we read last week, the punishment that brings us peace, the punishment that breaks our bonds of sin, the punishment that separates us from a God that rejoins that connection to God, it was because of Jesus. 
He didn't save himself because it wouldn't have brought uh, that freedom to us. He didn't come down from the cross because he knew you. He knew of all mankind. He knew uh, what he was doing there. He knew his mission. We read early, uh, a couple weeks ago of he prayed in the garden and he was crying out, man, if there's any way to not let this happen to me, but it's not my will, I submit to your will, God. He knew what was going to happen and he went forward with it for you, that you would be set free, that you would have a victory over death and over sin. The powerful moment that occurred at his death was the chains of sin, the, the curse of sin being broken. Victory over death, victory over sin was achieved through Jesus' death and resurrection. We're going to close our service uh, and our response time with communion, if the ushers could prepare and worship team, if you want to come. You see, communion uh, is done for a few different ways, but most importantly, uh, Paul tells us that as often as we take communion, we're remembering the Lord's death. And when we think about all that was accomplished at his death and at his resurrection, but today we're focusing on the cross. The, the blaspheme and the mockery and the insults that were uh, being thrown at him, he endured that. The truth of those things was uh, for us. Looking at uh, the first institution of communion, we, we refer to it when Jesus uh, had spent his last supper uh, with the disciples. I'm going to read from Luke 22. In, starting at verse 14, it says that when the hour had come, he re Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and he gave thanks, he said, take this and, and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. This morning, we're going to come and we're going to share. We're going to uh, take communion together. Communions uh, in Bethel Assembly of God is not uh, closed. It's not just for members of the church, but it's for members of the family of God. We want to offer it to all of you uh, that, that want to honor Jesus in his death today and you uh, are a follower of God and, and made that commitment to him, then communion is open to you. It's a special time that we can reflect in our heart and we can remember and we can honor uh, the Lord for his death and his uh, power and the freedom that came with it. I want to quickly pray and, 
and we'll, we'll uh, come in and receive communion together. We'll come to the middle aisle and you can come out to the sides. They both have the same uh, things and then you can come back to your seats. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray for each person here today. God, we, uh, we read in your word the power that was taking place at your death. God, it wasn't just an ordinary uh, death or even an ordinary crucifixion, God, but it was power. And that power was for us, for me, that you broke the, the bondage of sin that was in my life, God. As we confess our sin to you, God, we uh, accept you and the sacrifice you made uh, for us. And we accept that into our life. Your, your word promises that we're made new. We're made righteous, that that sin is erased. It's cleansed. We're made uh, pure, God. And so I just pray for each person today as we contemplate and, and think on that. God, look at ourselves God, if there's any sin in our life, God, help us uh, to see that, God, and that we could uh, repent of that, God, and make our way right with you. Today, if there's someone that's never asked you into their life, if they've never made that commitment at all, God, let today be their day that as they just uh, pray to you and, and make that confession to you, Lord, God, that you uh, would show them your freedom and your love, that it would be poured out in their life today, God. Hallelujah, Lord. We praise you, God. We praise you, Lord. Congregation, let's go ahead and stand and you can make your way forward and then take the elements of the communion back to your chair and we'll uh, take them together here in just a moment.
continuing in the same story. And when Jesus had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you hold their bread, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do remember the sacrifice that was made. We don't uh, do this out of tradition or uh, just because it's Easter. We do this because we want to honor you uh, for the sacrifice of sending your son. And we want to honor Jesus for being willing and giving up his life for us, that the power of sin in our life would be broken and that the freedom that we have is because of this brokenness. And we remember uh, you, Jesus, in giving up your body for us. So we honor you as we take this bread this morning. Go ahead, church. In verse 20. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It was representing that the old uh, covenant they had, that they had to go to priests and they had to go to the temple and make their own sacrifices. They were doing away with that and that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice that once and for all, that his blood being shed was uh, for our forgiveness and would wipe away the sin of all of mankind. He was making the new covenant in this moment and we want to honor and remember that as we take the juice this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we, we thank you for the power that was in uh, the shedding of Jesus' blood, that it's what washes away our sin, God. It's what uh, covers and takes away uh, the curse. It takes away the bondage of our sin. God, and we just thank you and we praise you again that you gave up your son and that Jesus, that you were willing to die for us, God. We accept that. We receive that. And uh, we just honor you today as we take this cup in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? We're going to close with a song here, and, and you can be dismissed. But Heavenly Father, we just love you, Lord. I just pray uh, for each one. Lord, that not just this day would we remember and honor you, God, but each and every day. God, that we would strive to, to live for you in all that we do, all that we say wherever we go, Lord. That we would bring you glory and we'd be able to show others the work that you've done in our life, God, and what you've done uh, for us, Lord. We just love you, Lord, and uh, we just praise you. In this time, for this week, God, as we leave, would you uh, bless your people, God, as they go, just use us to spread this message of your hope and your love to others. In Jesus' name.
Before we do, dismiss, why don't you uh, sing this song with us? Thank you, everyone.